Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we do thank you so much for your word. We pray that by your spirit you would be at work in our hearts this morning as we sit under your word and as we hear you speak. Now please help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see and hearts to accept what you are saying to us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm really, really super excited. Uh, I've got a ticket to day two of the Sydney Ashes Test. Can you believe it? I'm going with my brother uh, and my nephew and my brother-in-law's family. Uh, and, and there's a real sense of uh, excitement and anticipation. Uh, I've never been to an Ashes Test before. Uh, but day two, uh, I hope this happens. I, I hope there's a good tussle between bat and ball. Uh, it'd be great if David Warner gets his century on day two and Steve Smith guides us to a sizeable first innings total. Uh, then we'd send the Poms into bat just before tea and we'd have, have them Pfeiffer by the end of the day. Uh, that would be really, really exciting to watch. I wonder whether there's something that you're looking forward to. Or I wonder whether you can think of something you've gone to where the sense of expectation and anticipation was great. We met a group of believers last week in a city called Thessalonica. Their sense of expectation was great when they received the good news about Jesus Christ. Indeed, look what Paul says in verse 13 of our passage today. He says, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So today we are continuing our series through 1 Thessalonians and we learnt last week that life for these believers involves suffering for their faith and great opposition. They live in a city dominated by idol worship. Mount Olympus, the place the 12 Greek gods are believed to live, shadows the whole city. Pagan festivals, pagan sacrifices and pagan temples is the stuff of everyday life. And so the gospel comes to the Thessalonians amidst much opposition. We're reminded of that again today in our passage. Paul tells us in verse 2 that even before arriving in the city... Paul had suffered in Philippi. In fact, he ended up in prison in Philippi. In verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul tells us that he dared to bring the gospel to the Thessalonians in the face of strong opposition. And we're told in verses 14 and 15 how the believers in Thessalonica have suffered for their newfound faith. See there from verse 14. For you brothers and sisters became imitators of God's churches in Judea. Which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people. 
The same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. It's important that we understand this is the setting for what Paul has to say in chapter 2. Paul and these believers are really counting the cost for welcoming and proclaiming the gospel. It's far from convenient for them to confess Jesus as Lord. They are being hated for their newfound faith in Christ. And so, amid that, what does Paul write to them? He writes to remind them how he brought the gospel to them. In verses 1 to 12, we find the shape of godly ministry as Paul speaks of the way he conducted himself. And how did Paul go about bringing the good news to them? Well, Paul says he he wasn't doing it out of impure motives, nor was he trying to trick them, verse 3. He was honest and transparent with them. There was no ulterior motive. And who was Paul seeking to please, whose praise matters most to him? Verse 4. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Paul doesn't use flattery, nor does he seek to cover things up. And and does he assert his authority? He could. He's an apostle of Christ with Jesus' very own stamp of approval. Well, verse 7, he says, Far from asserting his authority, he and his companions were like children among them. A child has hardly any authority. And that's the way that Paul conducted himself. Not only was he like a child, he and his companions were like a nursing mother in their care. Did you see that? It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? We know that a young mum cares for and nurtures their child deeply. And that's the picture Paul puts forward of the way he cared for the Thessalonians. Like a child, like a nursing mother. Verse 11, Paul says he was like a father among them. Encouraging, comforting and urging. What a great picture of how a father ought to be with his children. Encouragement, comfort and urging. Paul says he urged them to live lives worthy of God who calls them into his kingdom and glory. I think the picture here is of a father saying to his children, these are the family traits. This is how we live. Many people, when I was growing up, often said that I walked like my dad. You can see family resemblances in lots of families, can't you? And Paul, in conducting himself like a father, was urging these new believers to live out their new identity, 
to live out the fact that they were now a part of the family of God, the followers of the Lord Jesus, and to show that by the lives that they lived. In every way, the Thessalonians had every opportunity to see that Paul's life backed up what he was preaching. He says there, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And this is the shape of godly leadership. Now we see all sorts of leaders, don't we? Uh, some are pretty ordinary. Some are good. Some are bad. But the minister, the gospel worker, is held rightly to a higher standard. Do you know that here at St Augustine's we have five core values? And one of those core values is godly leadership. And what's the shape of godly leadership? Well, Paul spells it out for us here in our passage. And brothers and sisters, if, if your ministers, me, Tinica, Adam, if the leadership over you is not like this, then you can pay little or no heed to what we are saying. This is what godly leadership looks like. It looks like the ministry of Paul. It looks like the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what was the response among the Thessalonians to Paul's ministry? Paul says in verse 1 that our visit to you was not without results. We saw a glimpse of their response last week, didn't we? Verse 5 of chapter 1 tells us that the gospel came to them not just with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. We read how they turned from their idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for their Saviour. The result was transformed lives. Changed lives. And how did this come about? Well, look at verse 13 of chapter 2. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. The word of God was moulding them, shaping them, changing them. They knew that it wasn't just any word, but that their creator who loves them and cares for them and sent his son for them was actually speaking to them. They received it as it was, God's Word, the very word that could breathe new life into them and, and change them to be more like Jesus. 
Wow, that's a powerful word. These guys had an expectation and anticipation about hearing the word of God. I asked myself, could the same be said of me? You see, I wonder what we think is happening when we gather on a Sunday morning. Do we just go through some rituals and hear some guy parrot on from up the front? Is it just like any other meeting you might go to during the week? When we gather around the Bible on a Sunday, God is speaking. Do you believe that? And does that give you great joy when you get up in the morning? A sense of expectation and anticipation that as you jump in the car and come to church, the living God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the one who holds it all and governs it all, the one who has power to give life and to take it away, your creator God who loves you, and wants what is best for you, is speaking to you. The Word of God, the Bible, leaves any other book for dead. No wonder it remains the best-selling book of all time. It's not just a history book, not just a ripping good yarn, but the very Word of God, powerful enough to work in your life, to mould you and to shape you to be more and more like the Lord Jesus and to ready you for heaven. Which Paul says in our passage is a cause of great rejoicing. In my household, Christmas Day, I love to watch the Queen's speech. Uh, there's no debate about what comes on the TV at 7.25 on Christmas night. That's what we watch. And there's always a sense of anticipation about what she's going to say. I wouldn't miss it for the world. I'm there on the couch, ready for when she begins. Well, imagine if you saw advertised that God was going to appear in that time slot, at Christmas Day, to make his Christmas speech. God was going to speak. Imagine that. I'd be there in a flash. I'd be so keen to hear what he had to say. Or imagine that God was going to appear in Campbell Park and speak to us. Would you be there? <laughs> I'd be there for sure. Why am I sometimes not like that when I gather around the Bible with my people on a Sunday? Or with my Bible study group during the week? Or, or with my kids? What's the model put forward for us by the Thessalonians? Paul says, we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it 
not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Friends, do you want to get closer to God? Do you want to know him better? Do you want a spiritual experience? Well, you get it whenever you gather with God's people. Whenever the preacher faithfully handles this book, the Bible. That's why biblical preaching is our number one core value. You get it when you gather midweek with your Bible study group. You you get it whenever you open the Bible because the Bible is not just a human word. It's the God of love speaking to you, his child. It's a powerful word. It's a word that dynamically changes you into the person God is moulding and shaping you to be. A person who increasingly looks more and more like Jesus. A person whose mind, heart and will looks more and more like Christ. Is that your expectation when you come for church? That God will speak to you. Not in a still, small voice, but in the pages of Scripture. We're seeing, aren't we, as we make our way through this letter, that the gospel doesn't make no difference. It's far more precious than anything else you'll come upon. It's worth any opposition it will bring. And opposition and suffering will come. Our world thinks Jesus is a joke at best, evil at worst, and the world will think the same of his followers. We're getting a glimpse of that more and more each day in our society. It's pretty hard to stand firm for Jesus. It's frightening to stick by God's word when your culture, indeed your political leaders, say that you've got something like sex and identity wrong. Are we going to give in? Which way will we go? Where else have we to go? The Lord Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. When you received the word of God, you accepted it not as a human word, but the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, may that be true of us, that we would indeed accept your word, that it would be powerfully at work in us, transforming us, that your message would ring out from St. Augustine's the eternal good of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.